0: Well, today is the beginning of our summer teaching series. Yay! Uh, And what we're we're, we're planning to cover for the next eight weeks uh, is an examination of Old Testament characters. Uh, uh, Examination of the lives of several biblical characters. Um, Every fictional story has its heroes and villains, right? Good guys. And bad guys, Luke Skywalker, Emperor Palpatine, Harry Potter and Voldemort, Superman and Lex Luthor. I'm not a big Superman fan, but uh, I just threw that out there. So, every hero has his or her flaws, they're kryptonite, if you will, but where it counts, where it matters most, heroes are good guys. And we root for them. We root for them because they represent our hope in the fight against evil, the fight over evil. And sometimes the way we read the stories of the Bible, especially episodes like David and Goliath or Moses leading the people of Israel out of Egypt in, into the promised land, we can't help but be influenced by that same expectation of what a hero should be. We want them to be good. We want them to defeat evil. And so we have a tendency to color our characters based on our expectation. And when we do that, we get a kind of a bizarro David or a bizarro Moses, not a Moses or David that's real. It's very common to forget these, that these are real people facing real Difficulties, real circumstances. So when we when we read them more closely, you know, we find a mixed bag of good and evil residing in every character, or almost every character. Secondly, um, we we have to recognize that the Old Testament is a very different is very different from say uh, Greek literature. The Greeks loaded their histories, their true stories, and their fictions, fictional stories, with with a ton of detail. What a person looked like, the real motives behind their actions. And and most of our modern novels and movies of today have a very similar feel, a similar level of detail. In other words, they, they don't leave you wondering. The Old Testament does, just that. They leave you wondering. The Old Testament uh, purposely leaves uh, what seems like unfinished paintings. They leave gaps. They leave holes. They leave questions. Why? Because when they choose to share a detail, those details are very significant. For example, Esau. Remember Esau, the story of Jacob and Esau? Jacob was Hairless, Esau was hairy, and the author included that detail because his hairiness showed his animal-like character, or his foolish character. Um, The the name for Saul means the one asked for, meaning he he was the, the first king of Israel that God very reluctantly gave, but the people asked for it. One biblical scholar put it this way. The gaps left in biblical narratives are intentional so that with a few death strokes, the biblical author engages the imagination of the reader to to construct a picture that is more real than if he had filled in David or Abraham or Joseph's portrait with more detail. Minimal representation can give maximal illusion. In other words, they do a lot with a little space. Bottom line, the Bible includes these character details to serve as a mirror. You've probably heard the, the old adage, we don't read the Bible, the Bible reads me. The Bible reads us. I can't tell you the number of times I'm, I've been reading when I, when I stumble across a, a part where I just say, oh man, that is totally me. I'm totally seeing all my flaws and defects in this story. As Tim Mackey with the Bible Project says, the real surprise is that God keeps working with them despite their failures. God keeps working with us despite our failures. Ultimately, God, God chose to give us the stories in a way that he did to make us hungry Hungry for the only one, the only hero, the only author of our story, capital S, the one without any flaws, the one without any defects, Jesus Christ. So with that as a little intro, a little preface, uh, we'll begin by looking at an early episode in the life of Abraham. Abraham. In fact, this was, this was before God changed his name to Abraham. He was just Abram at the time. With, a, a name which means exalted father. So we, we first get introduced uh, to old Abe um, at the very end of Genesis 11. You don't have to go there, but there are a few key details. Number one, Abram married Sarai. Number two, Sarai was Barren she was unable to have children number three Abram Abram's dad the patriarch up and moves the whole family from this place called Ur of the Chaldeans uh, to a place called Canaan Only they didn't reach Canaan they ended up in a place called Haran and they settled there So um, oh in the fourth thing we need to know from Genesis 11 is his father dies. So with that, we'll pick up in Genesis 12, 1 through 4, then skipping down to 9 through 20, and then reading the first verse of chapter 13, okay? Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred in your father's house to the land that I will show you. And And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Skipping down to nine. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the, the, the Negev. Negev River, or the territory of Canaan. Um, now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to uh, Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. And when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, "'I, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance.' And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this You have done to me. Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So Abram went from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him, into the Negev. So, God initiates a relationship with, with Abram. He, he calls him to go. He invites him on this adventure. It's like Gandalf inviting Bilbo on an, an adventure to, to leave the comforts of the shire and um, enter into the great unknown. So, God gives, gives Abram five, five promises. These, these are the promises. Notice how many times uh, the, the word will is present in here. So, number one, God promises land to a land I will show you. In other words, God is promising to provide. You're leaving what is known and it's scary to leave what's known because no matter how um, lousy your current situations or your current circumstances are or might be, at least you know them. (laughs) But you can trust me. You've got to trust me. You've got to trust me to provide for you. You've got to trust me to provide for your family, for everything. How? by providing them with land. Number two, God promises descendants. I will make of you a great nation. God's promising to multiply these promises to others. God's saying, even though having kids seems to be an impossibility for you, anything is possible with me. From you, Abram, exalted father, will become a new nation, a new people. Number three, God promises blessing. I will bless you. When I hear the phrase, God bless you, um, it's either after a sneeze, or it's, it's, it's like Christian filler. Hey, God bless you. But what, what exactly does that mean? What does that mean to be blessed by God? Well, here's what it means. It means to be, to enjoy promised friendship with him, intimate friendship, and all the benefits that go with it. All the benefits of peace, all the benefits of comfort, all the benefits of strength that come with being a friend of God. God promises blessing. Number four, God promises legacy. He says, I will make your name great. You know, a a chapter earlier in Genesis 11, the story of Babel. What was one of the primary motivators for those people to make a name for themselves, to create their own sense of legacy, to create their own sense of significance? As as human beings, we all long for for that sense of uh, sense of significance. We we have an appetite for legacy, whether we. Um, would put it that way or not to be a part of something truly si- significant God's promising to Abram you will be part of the most significant legacy there ever will be finally God promises protection those who bless you all bless those who curse you will be cursed In other words, Abram, there is nothing anyone or anything could do to you, could harm you. You're in the shelter of the Almighty. Promise of protection. Well, you know, if I'm if I'm Abram, I'm on the top of the mountain. The God of the universe has, for some mysterious reason, out of all the people on the planet, chosen to make all of these promises to me, to provide, to multiply, to bless, to uh, bless me with friendship, to give me a legacy, to to protect me from anything or anyone who could ultimately harm me. That is amazing. So God says (laughs) at the very beginning, go. Go. Verse 4 says, so Abram went. This, this significant moment with God put a song in his heart and, and a real skip to a step. As Bilbo says, I'm going on an adventure. Life is good. Life is really good. Until it's not. Verse 10 Now, there was a famine in the land. If I'm Abraham, or Abram, I'm thinking, what the? Food was suddenly scarce. The the future looked bleak. I'd be thinking, um... God, are you there? Are you asleep? Can you... Do anything about these circumstances? What 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 about all those promises you made me? Remember January of twenty twenty? Those are the good old days, right? (laughs) Not bad. When life was good and whispers of this thing called COVID were just that. They were whispers. There was a famine in the land. <laughs> famine of sorts. This whole year on a global scale has felt much much like a famine. Had to we had to leave our our sense of normal for a, for uncertainty. That's that's what this year has looked like. In the same way Abram had, Abram had to leave his normal way of life. He had to face uncertainty. Was forced to leave plan A and settle for plan B and become a stranger in a strange land. But this is, this is, where, this is, this is where things get interesting, right? This is where the heat of life circumstances reveals the weakness of his heart. Are you going to trust God? Are you going to trust his promises? Are you going to trust me, says God, to drive your life or are you going to grab the wheel? Verse 11 through 13, I'll read again. When he was about to enter Egypt, he had... He said to Sarai, his wife, I I know that you are a a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. This is Abram grabbing the wheel. Uh, On the surface, you know, this looks like a black-and-white issue. Abram, Abram tells his wife to lie to Pharaoh for the sake of his own skin and hers. That was wrong. But maybe it wasn't so black-and-white. Scholars are mixed on this. Some say it's, it's, it's more gray. For example, Gordon Hugenberger. Hugenberger. <laughs> uh, Old Testament scholar, uh, a professor of mine, uh, Gordon Conwell, he offers a couple things. Number one, Sarai was technically, legally, his sister. And you say, what? Um, Genesis 20, verse 12, the second time he uses this lie on another king, says, besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. Um, it sounds disgusting, but <laughs> it, was, it was very common in the ancient Near East for a father, when choosing a wife for his son, to also literally adopt the daughter-in-law as a daughter into his family for her protection. So Abraham is technically telling the truth or having Sarah, Sarai tell the truth. Number two, um, wives inherit from the husbands. Sisters don't. Abram and Sarai uh, show up and, and I'll tell you, their wealth was impressive. So What's so attractive about a 70-some-odd-year-old woman? (laughs) Her wealth. Hundreds of servants, hundreds of livestock. As a wife, she would be the heir. Abram anticipates this. If they think you're my wife, this is no good for me. This is no good for anyone. They'll kill me, they'll take you as a wife and get the money. If we tell them, you're my sister, technicality, We'll both be spared. Remember the end of um, God's promise to Abram. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. Rather than be bold, rather than be courageous to, by telling Pharaoh that, that the God of the universe met with him, gave him this, these promises, wants to bless him And his family through Abram, he weasels. He deceives him based on fear. This is exactly what I mean by scripture giving us a mixed bag of good and bad. They're they're not one dimensional characters like Superman or Batman. They're multi dimensional. Sinful human beings who, when faced with the heat of life, chose to grab the wheel, just like the rest of us. Well, in the end, who, who takes the wheel back? Who takes the wheel back? God. He, he, aff- he afflicts Pharaoh and his family with plagues, with sicknesses, because they've taken another man's wife. I... I I find Pharaoh's reaction to this refreshing. It's refreshingly like he's angry, he's confused, he's frustrated, but ultimately he's peaceful. He doesn't kill either of them. In the end, did Abram get what he wanted? Yes. Sure. His life was spared. He got his wife back. But his protection came from God, not his deception. So what he wanted came with a price. It cost him his dignity. It cost him his witness. Jesus talks about the the cost of following him in Luke 9. Verses 57 and 58 say, As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Meaning, if you're expecting a Savior who's going to make life comfortable for you, and make all of your problems go away, and insulate you from them, don't follow me. But if you're willing to follow a savior who will lead you and prepare you for all that I have promised, then follow me. Don't walk based on your circumstances, walk based on my promises. So, so many of you, I know your stories, have have come to see that to be in relationship with Jesus is life itself. You've you've come to see how much you needed Him. You've come to see um, how much you needed Him to die for you in your place. You've you've taken Him at His word that when we receive that grace, we receive that mercy by faith. You become a new creation. You've been adopted by him, your sons, your daughters. You, you've been completely forgiving, completely accepted. Jesus is life itself. And yet, life in this world is still filled with pain, still filled with difficulty, still filled with struggles of all kinds. Strained relationships, financial insecurity, difficulties in parenting. Could be a health issue, could be uh, um, something that happened to you long ago that you need healing from. And these can all feel like famines. For all of us, our, our default mode is to grab the wheel, give me that thing, I will solve my problems myself. Thank you very much. But after a few or many miles following Jesus, we begin to learn to trust him. Slowly, gradually, we, we begin to see that his, his ways really are better than our ways. And, and that's exactly what happened to Abraham. More than uh, 25 years later, after, after many similar experiences and circumstances, God called Abram, Abraham to take his son, his only son, the, the son God had promised him, saddle a donkey, climb a mountain, and offer him as a sacrifice. I mean, can you imagine? 25 years of learning that God can and must be trusted. Abraham did just that. Abraham obeyed. As strange and even as repulsive as God's calling must have been, he listened to his voice. He obeyed his voice. Abraham was a new man. As a result of what? His transformation was as a result of what? What? It's as a result of walking with him for those twenty-five years. In the end, as we all know, God, God provided a substitute so that Isaac wouldn't have to be sacrificed after all. A real life sign of God's grace and mercy towards sinners like you and me. A sign that would that would be fulfilled. 2,000 years ago when God himself, our ultimate exalted father, would sacrifice his own son so we could have life. That is amazing grace. Paul, in, in much the same way, wrote, wrote these words in Colossians 3, 1 to 2, which Should be familiar to most of you. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. This is who you are in Christ. This is what Christ has done on your behalf you, you have been bound to him you've been glued to him his future is your future therefore fix your eyes on him and your future glory with him so just to wrap up with a few questions what are what are the problems you currently face, both personally and as a family? What are the uncertainties? What are the issues? Name them. Um, number two. How have you personally experienced God walking with you through those circumstances? You feel like you're doing it alone. You feel like you're you're grabbing the wheel? Share these. Number three, the last one. As, As you're reading scripture, take time to underline promises. Memorize them. Sear them into your head so they can go down into your heart. The promises of God serve as as horizons. You know, whenever I'm mowing a lawn and I'm looking down all the time, my lines end up crooked. I need to fix my eyes on the horizon. The more and more we fix our eyes on these promises, the, the, the more we'll experience life as God means for us to experience it. That, that we'll experience him work in our character and and redeem our problems in ways that we could never imagine let's pray father thanks thanks for not giving us a comic book story of super people to follow thanks instead for for giving us Uh, a a real story about real people we can relate to. And that is truly life-changing. They all serve as, as, as a mirror, displaying our flaws, displaying our tendencies. And in some ways, that's a huge comfort. But an even bigger comfort is the fact that you didn't leave us on your own, but took on flesh showing us the path, dying in our place so that we could enjoy life with you now and forever. I'd ask that you would help us to help us to trust you and help us to trust in your promises. Help us to to see life's problems as opportunities for you to, by your sovereignty, work your purposes into us. We love you, and we pray all of this in your name. Amen.